Now on Radio Italia Uno, it's time to change the world with Matt McQuinley. The energy, the faith, the devotion which we bring to this endeavor will light our country and all who serve it. And the glow from that fire can truly light the world. We focus on changing the world for the better by taking personal responsibility, canceling cancel culture, discussing and listening to each other on topics like leadership, cultural trends, business, history, and more. Not because they are easy, but because they are hard. Right now on Radio Italia Uno, 87.6 FM. It seems the old days of the boss just having the attitude of... Just get your work done and leave me alone are pretty much over. Employees want to get satisfaction from their work, not just a paycheck. Years and years ago, I read a Carl Mays study done by the University of Ohio that ranked what employees thought was most important to them, and then what employers thought were most important to the employees. The study found the two groups thought almost exactly the opposite. What employers thought was the most important to employees ranked lowest with the employees. And what employers thought was least important to employees ranked at or near the top. Today, many, many companies are focusing on workplace well-being because it's the right thing to do, but they're also focused on workplace well-being out of necessity in a tight labor market and in uncertain economic times. Businesses and organizations are starting to understand that for the organization or the company to succeed, they must focus on workplace well-being. Focusing on workplace well-being reduces health care costs, improves productivity, decreases absenteeism, and helps improve employee recruitment and retention, as well as a host of other benefits. Our guest today is someone who's helping organizations in this space to be successful. Rebecca Weatherill is the founder of Workplace Wellbeing SA. She works with organizations to optimize staff performance and well-being. She's an accredited mental health first aider, a strengths profile practitioner, and has a diploma in positive psychology and well-being. Welcome to the show, Rebecca. Thank you, Matt. Thanks so much for having me. What's well, a pleasure is all ours. I heard you speak recently at a at a business event, and you mentioned that you grew up in Cooper PD. So, can you tell us how that prepared you for what you're doing now, Matt? That's such a great question, and it was lovely to uh, to meet you. I think it was a Northern Business Breakfast meeting uh, last week, and uh, at the meeting I actually shared a slide of the dugout, the, the home that I grew up in, in Cooper Pedy. Um, my parents moved there in 1970, and I spent the first 13 years of my life uh, growing up in, in the outback town. So it was quite a unique childhood, um, growing, living underground and, and growing up into uh, some pretty harsh, tough conditions. We didn't have a... Uh, um, inside bathroom or toilet or anything like that no tv Mm. Uh, so conditions were quite tough as well as um, obviously very hot conditions Um, and so I think being in that environment um, helped develop my resilience skills my levels of resilience so uh, that definitely contributed towards that Um, 
Yeah, I, th- I think that uh, it also taught me the importance of community. We were a small community there and, and my parents had a lovely group of friends and so um, that was a very positive environment in which to grow up. So I guess it was both, you know, having those resilient levels and uh, and also the importance of community. That reminds me of the old joke, uh, we hired a fire out in the bathroom but we put it out before it got to the house. <laughs> That's what they we used to say in the South. But so was it a small community where you actually learned work ethic and make the best of what you gotta do and I think so find Matt. creative solutions and Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um and bear in mind I was uh only there until I was about thirteen. So I saw it through the lens of a of a child. Mm. Um but I recall growing up in school we had fifty two different nationalities. Um, in our community. So it was very much a multicultural... 52? Um, 52 because, different well, why, nationalities. How, how did that happen exactly? Well, I think that's uh, back back then, and I think Kubipedi still does now, attract a, a number of... Um, um, yeah, it's very diverse wow. with their nationalities. And so, um, you know, I think that certainly impacted and, and had a, a really positive effect on me Um I guess, having a bit bit more awareness around cultural differences. Oh, cool. Yeah. How did that help you decide to open a business that's completely different? Oh, absolutely. Uh, Interestingly, my dad uh, is a, was, sorry, he's passed away now, but he was a small business owner. My brother actually owns a, a business as well. So maybe that runs in the family, but... I started this business uh, on the 13th of February 2020, uh, not knowing what was just around the corner, obviously. But uh, wellbeing, and and particularly employee wellbeing, has um, been, um, I guess, a real interest of mine. Um, Having gone through some... um, uh, about 10 years ago, I went through a situation where I experienced professional burnout. And so mm-hmm. I needed to um, develop some skills and strategies around that in how to, um, I guess, help myself and, and help me get through that period of my life. I did that, did that very successfully. And then I, I understood that there must be a science behind it all. So that's when I went and studied um, a diploma in positive psychology and did uh, more learning there. Um, and so I guess uh, it just made a lot of sense for me to want to start a business because I could see the need um, and, uh, and that's what I wanted to do. However, that timing wasn't the greatest. So mm. I had to just uh, hold on um, while businesses were trying to survive during that COVID period. Mm. So it's interesting. So if, let's dig into that a little bit more because a lot of times when people are passionate about something, like you're passionate about well-being, mm. that's because they or somebody they care about has had a challenge with that themselves. So you had a big challenge with that is what you're saying? I did, yeah. Well, so it, can you tell us a little bit about, about that and how you got out of it and how you got into it and then how you got out of it? <laughs> Yeah, I can share that, Matt. Um, so it was about 10 years ago, 2013. Um, I had been um, through some trauma in 2010 with the loss of a number of loved ones. Um, and so I was still probably going through uh, grief at that time. Uh, and I was also working in a very um, demanding job, often working 12 hours a day, um, And I was also single parenting. And my daughter at that time was rowing, so I was up three mornings 
a week to take her to rowing training at 4.30, trying to hold down a 12-hour-a-day job full-time. And, uh, yeah, I, uh, I experienced what we now know is burnout. But back then, the World Health Organization hadn't uh, formally recognised it. So I was a bit confused with some of those symptoms of, of feeling that um, immense fatigue, emotional, physical exhaustion, um, and really, um, yeah, depersonalisation, I guess. So I, I didn't quite know what the, those uh, those symptoms were. Um, but it was just a bit of a trial and error for me to learn how what I needed to do, what I needed to change in my everyday that would hopefully make a difference. And you know what? It really did. What do you mean by depersonalization? Yeah, good question. I think I was feeling uh, during that, that period of, of my time that I didn't really matter, that, that personally I, there wasn't, I wasn't contributing much, I wasn't making much of a difference at all. And so, um, you know, and that is one of the uh, symptoms of, of burnout um, that they have now realised. And so, uh, and that's pretty tough. Not making a difference in what way? What do you, what do you mean exactly? Well, not making a difference to what I was doing, not making a difference in my work life or, or what I was contributing, really. You know, I had a that, that shine or, or that spark in life for me had gone and I wasn't sure what I was, you know, if there was making a difference. So you felt like you were letting the down the company or your job just didn't matter because it was unimportant or you felt no. like you were letting down your kid or what what is it no that you i didn't felt? feel like i was letting letting her down i was trying to juggle it all and mm-hmm. i was just burnt out myself i was probably letting me down mm-hmm. more than anyone for a mom to say she doesn't feel like she's making a difference i don't it's hard for me to grasp that because you're a mom yeah very so true. of course you've got one person that you make all the difference to in the world and i as a father i can say that you know you guys get all the credit <laughs> no matter how yeah. great the dad is, the mom still gets all the credit. Mm, I'm not going to go <laughs> with, with there. the sons I'm not anyway. Go <laughs> with the sons anyway. Uh, so yeah, no. I'm surprised to, to say that you didn't feel like you were making a difference. Oh look, but that's that's what happens, you know, with with this feeling of burnout. That uh-huh. um, th- that's sort of how you can start to feel. Okay. Yeah, yeah. And then how did you solve that problem? Mm. And, and I'm not trying to belittle the feelings or say, oh, you shouldn't have felt like that. I'm just saying that I'm trying to yeah. understand and and, and also quite... trying to make a bridge between you and the listeners who might mm. be feeling the same way. Mm. Yep. So so how how did you get out of that? Yeah, look, I had to take a big step away from my work mm-hmm. um, and that was a scary thing to do. But at the time, I'd sort of reached a point where I needed to do something, um, you know, that, that was a big step away from that. So so I did. I left my, left my job mm-hmm. um, and um, that gave me some space that I needed to start doing, you know, making some changes in my daily uh, choices that was uh, I started to prioritize my sleep. Uh, that played a really big factor in mm. in assisting me health wise. Um, and 
you know, just really pared back any social activities and tried to just slow slow life down a little bit. Um, and at the time, I also got a little uh, Yorkie, a little Yorkshire Terrier. Do you know the little dogs? Mm-hmm, yeah, mm-hmm. a little four kilo of fluff. Mm-hmm. Anyway, his name's Gus, Gus the Wonder Dog. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and Gus came into our life and uh, he made sure he took me walking every day, you know, so... Uh, he got me out into into nature, into the park. I had responsibility for this little dog. Um, and, uh, yeah, I, I call him my rescue dog because he rescued me. All right. Okay, well, we're going to be back in just a little bit with Rebecca, and she's going to talk about how she goes into companies and organizations, nonprofits as well, mm-hmm. and helps them focus on their uh, staff's well-being, which results in – uh, more positive work environment, higher productivity, everybody being happier, and getting more done. So we'll be right back after these messages. You're listening to Change the World with Matt McQuinley on Radio Italia Uno, 87.6 FM. We're back with Rebecca Weatherill, the founder of Workplace Wellbeing SA. And in the last session, we talked about how uh, she became passionate about helping people out with workplace well-being through her, her own experiences. But now, can you define for our listeners what you mean by workplace well-being? Yes, Matt. Um, I, there are quite a number of, of definitions around well-being, but I think I'd like to share the definition that Professor Felicia Huppert, from, who is a psychologist at the University of Sydney, so her definition of well-being is, in the simplest form, it's, it's our ability to feel well and function effectively. So really it's, it's how we, we feel. If we feel good and we can do good, then, uh, then we have what we know is, uh, is well-being, our levels of well-being. But we also know that our well-being levels can ebb and flow depending on what's going on around us. So it's really important that we get to learn the signs of both high levels of well-being and low levels of well-being in us um, and notice those signs so that when those levels might start to dip, we can, uh, we can dip into our little toolbox of uh, well-being strategies to make sure that we're um, perhaps dialing up some of those self-care uh, strategies to, to, to look after our well-being. So what are the red flags we should be looking for in ourselves? Oh, Matt, that's a really good question, and I could put that back on you because um, those signs are different for everybody. So, um, you know, if you have a little think about um, when you might notice some signs of or your well-being start to dip when you're not feeling so well, maybe you're not functioning so well, what are some of the signs that you might think might seeing you yourself and is this the show that you're going to announce you're uh running for political office by answering <laughs> questions with questions or is that is that the uh, next show you're doing no, that no, no, but I pro- okay. <laughs> matt i promised that i would ask <laughs> yeah. you a question or, okay. or two all right, all right. Okay. So, no no i'm happy to share my no i'm just i'm just joking you so the question was how would i know that i'm not operating at peak efficiency well i imagine I always told my staff because I, I had a I was I'm a business coach consultant as well and uh, and uh, I always told my staff that whenever you're in the office and you go <sighs> that that's a big sign mm. and you cannot under any circumstances do that around any of your staff because that shows them that you're completely demoralized demotivated 
and you're dragging them down. As the leader, I always told them it's your responsibility to be the battery that the team can plug into. They always, mm. You always want them to leave more energized than when they came in. And if you see that you're not having a positive impact on everybody around you, then you need to do what Stephen Covey said and go out and sharpen the saw. Right. right. So that's my answer this to your is, question. Thank you. Thank you. Um, some of the signs that, that other people might see are, you know, some sleep disturbances, not getting enough sleep. But like you said, you know, that big sigh or, um, you know, just uh, lack of um, any any spark in your day is a, you know, can be a big a big sign you know being a bit more irritable with those loved ones is a is a, a sign so then it's about recognizing that um and then well what do you do about it you know it's it's being able to i guess develop a, a toolkit of those strategies that you know are going to to help you so for me um you know when i start to see my levels dip the first thing I do is uh, is get some better sleep. I know that my sleep routine has probably um, slipped a little. We're all human; these things happen. So for me, it just is becoming a bit more intentional with my sleep times. It's making sure that that phone goes down at eight thirty when my notifications uh, are silenced. You know that I don't pick it up again. It's it's doing those some of those little things that that I know make a big difference quickly. Mm. You know, I'm not a conspiracy guy. Mm-hmm. You're like, where is he but... going with this? Okay. <laughs> but recently, uh, the the board, uh, the chairman of the board of Netflix had all of his guys in and gals, you know, key people. And in this board meeting, he was going on and on and on about how, you know, they're getting licked in the marketplace and they've got to fight their best competitor and they've got it. They've got to beat this competitor. They don't. Un- he doesn't understand why this competitor's winning. And blah blah blah. blah. And all, and they're all looking around, going, "Competitor? What is he talking about? We're like top in the industry, you know. I, Amazon isn't that good, you know. This other one is not that. This streaming service not that good. We're the best. We did fine. Anyway. And then and then he gets to the point. He goes, "So how do we get these people to sleep less?" <laughs> So the reality is, is that that's, that's, I think that's one of the key things nowadays. And it sounds silly to talk about that, but today that's one of the things that I think hurts people's uh, attitude and well-being more than anything else is just having a phone in their bedroom. Mm. And then before they know it, they've watched three episodes of whatever, Orange is the New Black or whatever it is. And they got four hours of sleep that night and the next day they're useless. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, it is, it's, uh, you know, we are a society where distraction is just so, so easy. Um, so there is a lot to be said for, for being more intentional with those sleep habits, creating some really good habits around that. Mm. So what are some other tools in the kit besides getting some rest? All right. So that is uh, usually people go straight to uh, straight to health, I guess, when mm-hmm. they're, they're looking for um, some strategies to apply. But the work that I do is very much science based. Mm-hmm. So I use a framework called the PERMA framework. So mm-hmm. that's six different pillars that mm-hmm. make up uh, or contribute toward um, our well-being. So um Besides health, health is the H in the PERMA pillar. 
right? But there's other pillars in there. And so the first one uh, is P for positive emotions. So that way, uh, you know, if I am looking for ways to uh, help care for my well-being, I know that by um, bringing some more uh, positive emotions into my day uh, is going to be good for my well-being. So I look for those ways how, how I can possibly do that. Um, and that might be through uh, finding some humour or some... Um, connecting with people there's a there's a whole host of different things that we can do to to bring in those positive emotions okay that's that's uh, pillar one what about yes. pillar two pillar two is e so e is for engagement right and so how what are those things that we can do in our day that that have our um you know really focused on what we're doing we just spoke before around um, getting easily distracted right and there's a lot of research particularly from a, a wonderful um, research the late Mihai Csikszentmihalyi and he uh, researched studied into a uh, state of flow or flow state so you know that's that state that we get in where um, it's a lot easier to focus on the things that we're doing and, and time seems to disappear so it's about finding those situations that, that we can get into this flow state. Um, the other way that we can really get some benefit from being engaged is to know what our strengths are. So in the introduction you said, um, uh, introduce me, I, I am a strength profile practitioner uh, and this is a psychometric assessment from Capfinity in the UK. It's developed by uh, Dr Alex Lindley. And so this assessment, this tool, gives us some information around, well, what are our strengths? What are those authentic uh, abilities in us that give us energy? So when we are using our strengths more, we are feeling more energised and engaged with what we're doing. So it's about how can we bring more of that into our day? Mm. So you're saying build on your strengths and you'll become even stronger. Absolutely. Basically. Yes. Okay. Yes. So, so, so far we've got positive emotions. We've mm-hmm. got an engagement and we've got four more to go. And we're going to pick those up here right after these messages. You're listening to Change the World with Matt McQuinley on Radio Italia Uno 87.6 FM. We're back with... Rebecca Weatherill, the founder of Workplace Wellbeing South Australia. And in the last session, we just ended up on starting our discussion on the six pillars of well-being. And, but before we do that, I know that a lot of people uh, are listening and wondering how they could contact you if they want to hear more or perhaps even utilize you in their company or, or volunteer organization. How, how can they learn more other than the stuff that we're talking about today. Oh, Matt, I would encourage them, please, to um, go to my website. It's workplacewellbeingsa.com.au. So it's workplacewellbeingsa.com.au. Um, and all my details are on there. They can contact me there. There's actually a little calendar, so they can click uh, the calendar link and schedule a 15-minute discussion with me to, to find out some more um, and my email address is also on there as well oh so you they can set up an appointment to talk with you for yes, free absolutely about challenges yes. they're having in in the workplace yep i call it a discovery call so okay. they are most welcome to to get uh, reach out 
book a time online and we can chat. Awesome. Are you speaking at any other events? I saw you speak at one uh, just last week, I guess it was. Yes. Yep, I am. I've got some conferences coming up. But for a public event, if look, if there are any listeners in the uh, in the council region of Nord, Paynham and St. Peter's, just put a quick shout out. Um, I'm going to be speaking to business owners in that council area uh, on the 11th of September. Uh, there'll be details coming out from the council about that event. So that's uh, for any business owner within the, the council area. So more details to come. All right. So, okay, so we talked about the first two pillars, which were? Which were positive emotions and engagement. And this, and what's the third relationships, pillar? Okay. Matt, relationships. Okay, It's all about relationships. Okay. Um, and I'm reading a fantastic book at the moment called The Good Life. So um, we know that our relationships, all the quality of our relationships, play a, a very uh, critical role in our well-being. Mm. There's been some fantastic big study. I don't know if you've heard of it, the Harvard Adult Development Study. Um, this study has been going for over 80 years, Matt. Like, mm. So, And they've um, followed these people over the course of their life to determine what gives people a good life. Mm-hmm. Um, and without doubt, it is the quality of our relationships. So, uh, yeah, look, when I work with organisations, we, uh, we do look at relationships um, and how you can, um, I guess, develop those um, good connections at work um, through active, active listening and a number of different skills there. So um, relationships play a very big role in our, in our well-being. Okay, so we've got... Positive emotions, we've got engagement, we've got relationships, and the fourth pillar... Is M for meaning. Mm-hmm. So I just want to point out, too, that this this framework, this is not my own framework, this was developed by Professor Martin Seligman. So mm-hmm. he was the founder of positive psychology, mm-hmm. um, and he developed the this initial framework, which was without the H. We've since put the H for health on the end, um, but this is Professor Seligman's um, framework, but it is all science-based, and, uh, and this is the framework that I use with all of my clients. Um, so M for meaning. Now, this is not the big, uh, you know, what is, what is my meaning? What is my purpose in life? This is more around finding m- meaningful things in your day, you know, to connect you with what you're doing. So it's, it's finding meaning in the work that you're doing, in the interactions that you're having. Um, and one of the ways that you can do that is to try, is I guess, to start to understand your values, to, to be aware of your values. And do your values align with the work that you're doing or the things that you're doing? So that's a very good way for, for some self-reflection to come in. And we can find meaning in lots of menial tasks in our day. Um, so, yeah, it's about finding um, meaning in the everyday. Cool. All right. And then number five is? Number five is accomplishments. Okay. Doo-doo-doo-doo. All right. So this is all about those feelings of achievement. You probably feel that too, Matt. You know, since it gets to the end of the day, you've ticked off or you've achieved all that you want to achieve. Um, so definitely those accomplishments, uh, that feeling of accomplishment around um, goal setting um, and really hitting those targets. And it's also, I guess, the, the journey to, towards hitting those targets as well. All right. And the last one is? 
H for health. And we've sort of talked about this, but I just want to expand, sorry, expand a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, we spoke about um, earlier around sleep and, and sleep. Um, I, I'm a huge advocate um, about sleep. In fact, I call myself a, a sleep geek. Love it. There is a sleep conference happening here in Adelaide in November, which is very exciting. Um, so health really does uh, encompass your physical and mental health. Um, but when we look at um, movement, as in exercise, um, we look at uh, obviously sleep, gut health. Gut health is another area that there's been so much research done of late. Did you know that 90% of our serotonin produced by our body, so serotonin is a chemical um, that is a, a really helpful chemical, a feel-good chemical, is produced by our gut. Mm. Once upon a time, they thought it was produced by our, our, our brain, yeah. but it's actually produced by our gut. Huh. So um, so our gut health is really, really important because it can have a, a play a, a major role in how we are feeling. Um I also like to include financial health under Mm -hmm. this pillar Ah. because I think that financial health, um, you know, there's a lot of stress around financial health and and managing our money. So um, when I um, talk to to my clients and work with my clients, I I incorporate financial health um, as part of a wellbeing program. Cool. So those of us that might be sitting here with a pen... The six <laughs> pillars again are perma. So it's positive emotions, yeah. engagement, relationships, meaning, accomplishment, and health. Awesome. So let's say you walk into a company or a company calls you up and says, hey, morale is low. I want to do something to help out my staff's well-being. Mm-hmm. What do you What do you do? Like, let's say you just walk in there. Where's What's step one? Oh, step one for me is is um, sitting down and, and uh, I guess understanding that the context, what is going on, what's going on for them, what's going on for for the workplace, for the business owner, um, and getting a feel for for what is happening there. But then, most importantly, the first step that I do because I've developed this four step process that I do with clients. Mm-hmm. So the first step for me is really about that evaluation. So um, I work um, with a well-being measurement tool, and in fact, it's called the PERMA Wellbeing Survey. Mm-hmm. Um, now, this was developed out of the University of Melbourne. Uh, it's not something that I have developed, but I have a licensed tool. So I use that as a way to uh, introduce, to, to invite people to start looking at uh, those levels of, of well-being. You know, we spoke earlier around, you know, what are the awareness, what are the signs? It's starting to get them to think about their well-being. So it's the PERMA uh, well-being survey that I use. And, you know, there's a free version uh, online. So any listeners can can jump on um, and they can Google PERMA well-being survey and, and do their, their own survey. It's free. It's great. And, that, and that's for the individual or for the business? That's for the individual. For the business, I've got a licensed tool um, that I use for the business. So it invites uh, employees and it's a confidential report. So they get their own report. But what happens is we get the de-identified data at the back end. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I can use that to inform a, a tailored strategy that I that I design for the team in the workplace, okay. understanding what they really need. 
Okay, so step two and step three and step four? Okay, so step two then is is around education. So uh, as an example, I'm working with um, a land surveying company, Alexander Simons, um, and their business, we are rolling out um, this wellbeing program across teams in their business. They've got quite a large organisation, so we're doing team by team. So the second team has come on board now. Last Friday, I did a, a workshop with them. So it's an introduction to wellbeing. So it's bringing them on board onto the wellbeing program. Um, and it's giving them some education around what well-being is, a little bit like what we've talked about mm-hmm. tonight. Um, and then uh, together with the data um, that and and uh, and the information that comes out of that workshop, then that goes up to inform the strategy, uh, and then I can roll out a 12-month well-being program for them. Great. And then step three is? Well, step, step three is really that um, evolution of the program. So um, there are a couple of things. One, I can design a strategy. I can measure mm-hmm. and design a strategy. And, and the business might say, Beck, thanks. That's great. We've got it from here. I appreciate all your recommendations. We've already done this, this, and this. Mm-hmm. Or sometimes businesses say, can you come along with us? Mm-hmm. We need you here by our side. Um, and I call them my wellbeing partners. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so then I work alongside of them for the next uh, 12 months, up to two years. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the, e- the, the third step is really about the evolution of the program. And the final step then really is about empowerment because at the end of the day, um, you know, I set up the framework and, and uh, encourage businesses to... Um, roll out this program and we want to see it mature mm-hmm. you know and so really that's about empowerment empowering them to be able to keep going with that program whether i'm there or not so, oh yeah i know what you're i'll say, say this bluntly so because <laughs> you won't be direct i will so your goal is not to take advantage of these companies and bleed them dry for the next decade no. it's to teach them to fish for themselves correct all right correct. Well, that, that's great and again how can anybody reach you if they wanted to utilize your services. Yeah, Matt, it's really easy. They just need to jump on the website. It's www.workplacewellbeingsa.com.au and they can either, uh, there's a link in there to make a a 15 minute uh, call or they can send an email or contact me that way. All right. Well, we're going to be back in just a little bit with Rebecca and we're going to talk about uh, some of the changes in legislation and what the minimum uh, is employers need to do for their employees' well-being, as well as strategies that you can put in uh, to your business or your own personal life for your own well-being. You're listening to Change the World with Matt McQuinley on Radio Italia Uno, 87.6 FM. We're back with uh, Rebecca from Workplace Wellbeing SA. And can you tell us real quick, I know there's been some changes to some legislation uh, with WorkSafe SA and a couple other things. Uh, What are the minimum requirements that Mm. employers have to meet right now? Yeah, Matt, look, there's some evolving uh, work health safety legislation from SafeWork uh, Australia. Uh, it's rolled out in a number of states uh, and will be here in South Australia by the end of the year. But basically, it's asking uh, organisations to assess and address any psychosocial 
hazards or risks in the workplace. So what they mean by psychosocial hazards, that are stresses in the workplace that may uh, cause prolonged um, stress to an employee. So look, uh, there's a lot of information around that and, and um, that's one of the areas I'll be covering um, at this uh, with the City of Nord, so the Nord event on the 11th of September. I'll be addressing some of that. But, um, yeah, for any organisations that want to get their head around that, jump on the Safe Work Australia website or, again, I do encourage you to contact me um, for some more information around that and uh, and I do have an assessment tool that I use for clients to look at those psychosocial uh, risks and hazards in the workplace. All right. Well, uh, why don't you give us a couple uh, tips on our well-being? Why don't we give one for business owners or leaders of organizations mm. to help out their organization and then one for us as individuals you haven't given yet? Okay. All right. So if I was an organization uh, looking, obviously, uh, the first go-to there is to have a, um, a mental health and well-being policy in place. I know that's policy and regulations, but uh, if that policy um, is um, communicated, um, that the team know that, that well-being in the workplace is a shared responsibility, um, I think that is a great first step. Um, and then for organisations, I'd highly recommend having a form of employee assistance program or EAP in place um, and then looking at a strategy, you know, and that's uh, we know from um, what is happening from a global point of view that a wellbeing strategy is a must have in a business these days. Mm, okay. What about the individual? What are some keys to helping out their own well-being? Oh, that's so good. Oh, we've obviously spoken about sleep and and, mm -hmm. uh, and there is that element of exercise. In mm -hmm. fact, University of South Australia had a, a fantastic study. Um, they uh, That paper was published earlier this year around um, the benefits of exercise and how that can contribute or be just as helpful for anxiety and depression as uh, medication is. So definitely um, to get moving. Um Oh, what else? But, you know, there's fun. Uh, oh, I've got to share something that I've just started, and that is park run. I'm not sure. Really? I have a friend that does oh, park run, uh, yeah. Peter Hines. I don't know if you know him or not. But I don't. I don't. Yeah. But His I've team only... is called Team Black. Okay. All right. Excellent. But anyway, go ahead. Tell us no, about park so, run. Um, park run, um, if you haven't heard about it, is a community event. It's uh, There's uh, meetups. Uh, it's 8 a.m. every Saturday morning, mm -hmm. and there's meetups all over the place. I do mine at Victoria Park, um, and and I've done it down at Aldinga Beach recently too. Mm. But, uh, look, it's a free event. Uh, come out. You don't have to run it. You can walk it or you can walk run or whatever, but it's a fantastic way to get out in nature, in the community, doing some exercise. And I just think that it ticks all of those well-being boxes. And you meet people too. You do. Mm. And that's sponsored by MetaBank and uh, a couple other places. Yeah. Right. So I don't know. Uh, now, you work with some pretty uh, – some decent-sized companies as well. Who do you work with? 
Well, I, I do. I mean, I've done uh, last year. I partnered with Business SA, so that's mm-hmm. the, uh, the chamber here in South Australia, and I went out to seven uh, different regions um, to speak to their regional members around um, what they can be doing to support their uh, well-being of, of employees, and also worked with uh, Business Victor Harbour. I did a program with the City of Adelaide, obviously working with Nord uh, Council. Um, and um, do you know one of my my original client, the Pisani Group, mm-hmm. um, they um, they won their Practice of the Year, the Accounting Practice of the Year last year, and in part to the wellbeing program that I had uh, helped them to get up and and establish for them. Mm-hmm. Um, and in fact, we've got a case study that our case study has actually been published on the National Mental Health Commission website. So the website um, offers 32 different case studies and, and our case study has been included All right. in that, which is pretty cool. Great. Okay, well, give us a quick success story that can inspire people to work on their own well-being or the well-being of their organization. Uh, well, uh, on my website, though, I do actually have the, the Pisani case study, um, mm-hmm. so that's all there. But I would love to share uh, another little testimonial. I've been wor- I worked with a, um, a marketing company called Purple Giraffe, and they did, you know, we spoke about engagement as being one of the pillars, right? And we talked about strengths. Um, and so I did a strengths workshop with, the, with Purple Giraffe, And what that uncovered was that uh, one of the team members um, was obviously uh, in a role where she wasn't able to utilise all of her strengths. And the awareness from that that assessment and the workshop uh, led to a fantastic discussion between um, the business owner and uh, and the employee. And they've actually reshaped, we call it job crafting. So they reshaped her whole role so that she could be using her strengths uh, more often. And when I checked back into the business owner um, recently, um, she one of the things that she noticed was that there was more laughter back in the office. Um, and so for me, that's a, a big win that there's somebody now getting a whole lot more satisfaction out of the work that she's doing um, and a business owner who's hanging on to a, um, a really valued team member. Well, he's probably making more money in the long run, too, because she's more productive. Yeah. So that's great. Okay, well, in one minute here, what's the one thing, okay, that you want the audience to carry away the most from our time together or about well-being? Okay, I just, uh, you know, it's something that I live and breathe, Matt, and I just uh, would encourage everybody to take some time Um, to reflect on perhaps how they have been feeling and functioning lately Uh, and if it's not the way that they would like to do uh, or to feel then perhaps they can look at at ways they can you know bring in some of just some small daily actions that might be able to help them all right well thank you very much for being here with us today we really appreciate it And again, if anybody wants to contact or find out more about what she's doing, you can learn about that on her website, which is? WorkplaceWellbeingSA.com.au. All right. Thank you so much, Matt. It's been a joy. The pleasure's all mine. And I want to thank all of you for listening. And as always, I'll leave you with a brief inspirational story. The perception is that successful people are born to privilege. 
especially our political class. In actuality, 75% of the world's leaders are born to poverty. Let's take this guy, for example. He was born the 15th of 17 children. He had only two years of school. At age 12, he went to work for his older brother, James, who ran a print shop. James was a hard boss and would beat his brother often, merely because he was unhappy. His brother would not let him publish any of his own writing. So this guy made up a name and submitted his writing to his brother's paper. The readers loved it. When his brother found out about it, his brother was very, very jealous and punished him severely. So this guy ran away, which, by the way, was against the law at the time, as he was an indentured servant. He ended up in a city far away with just the clothes on his back. On one of his first days, he went into a bread shop, and when he came out, he saw a charming, beautiful young woman staring at how wet, miserable, and ragged he was. By 17, he was able to find work by using his skills as a printer's assistant and the many outstanding traits and talents that he had learned that enabled him to survive on the street. He borrowed some money and set up his own printing business. Before long, he received a reputation as an honest, hardworking, and conscientious businessman. He landed major jobs and set up a thriving, successful business. The girl, who a few years before had seen him all wet, bedraggled, and down on his luck, married him. He then set up his own store. Then he opened a bookstore. And at age 23, he bought a small newspaper and turned it into the biggest, most successful newspaper in the entire country. He created the world's first political cartoon. A few of his other accomplishments include setting up his country's very first free library, setting up his home city's first fire department, as well as police patrol. He also set up the very first fire insurance company. He founded the city hospital his own state's university, as well as his state's militia. These are all still in existence almost two and a half centuries later. He was one of the first postmaster generals of the United States. He invented, among other things, a stove and bifocals. His experiments with lightning verified the nature of electricity and led to his invention of the lightning rod. He coined the terms battery, charge, and conductor. He even played three different musical instruments. By age 42, Benjamin Franklin was a very wealthy man. But he put it all at risk for the next 40 years, helping to lead a revolution to establish the United States of America. His contributions included helping draft the Declaration of Independence, serving in the Continental Congress, serving as the ambassador to France, where if he had not been successful in securing an alliance with France, it is unlikely that the colonies would have won their war of independence. He even negotiated the Treaty of Paris that ended the Revolutionary War and was a delegate to the convention that drafted the Constitution of the United States. What do we learn from Benjamin Franklin? Well, a lot of things, since he's known for his many pithy sayings, like an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure, like haste makes waste, no gains without pains, well done is better than well said, and so on and so on and so on. 
But perhaps the most important thing we learn from him are that it doesn't matter where you start out. It's where you end up that matters. And that there are two kinds of people in the world and two kinds of people listening to this broadcast. The first one who says, I'm poor. I can't succeed. My family's mean. I can't succeed. I don't have the contacts, so I can't succeed. It's too hard. I can't succeed. And the other kind that says, I can succeed regardless of where I'm at now. I won't listen to the naysayers. I can't have the success I want and possibly even change the world. The real question is, which one are you?